Hello, beautiful. <laughs> Look at that face. Hi. Uh, that's the first time I, 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 honestly, that's the first time I think I've ever been called beautiful. Has no one, you obviously do not Hello, hang handsome. out with, you don't hang out with enough homosexuals. <laughs> Definitely. Also, there's nothing beautiful about me, but hi, Sam. That's utter bullshit. But I do look, I get a fucking kick out of it when people tell me I'm handsome. So I'll, I'm just going to, I'm going to take that and continue with my day. Cheerfully. I get a kick out of being called beautiful. You are very beautiful. How's things? <laughs> Dude. Dude, I still haven't seen a picture of you as BMO. I asked. I did ask. I mean, further proof that it, I'm just is there I'm a, a picture of terrible Steve, friend. Look, I'll be honest. The whole night was quite a blur. <laughs> Not much sobriety happened, um, but I'm pretty sure that somewhere amongst the lack of sobriety, there were some photos taken on like an Instax or something. So, all right, yeah, I promise it happened. Okay, yeah. Well, if this if this proof exists, I'd like to see it. Okay, okay. Deal, deal. Hi, Sam. Hi. Uh, so, uh, did how was your homework? <laughs> can you can you first? Oh, dude, my homework was great. Me, please first remind me what the fuck homework I gave you because I do not remember. <laughs> my homework was to find a Mary Oliver poem and read it to you. Oh, good. That now, was good homework. You mm. also mentioned that you have a favorite Mary Mary Oliver poem, mm-hmm. which. I have read before. In fact, it's the only Mary Oliver poem I've read before. <laughs> and in fact, I have it pinned on my uh, Google Keep. That's oh. how much I love that particular Mary Oliver poem. It's so So I didn't great. choose that one, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then I went and read like, you know, selected works of Mary Oliver that happened to be available for free on the internet. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> and found another one, which is really good. Yay, I can't wait. Which is called Swan. Go, give it to me. Lay it on me. Oh, okay. Hold on. Let me pull it up on my iPad. All right, here it is. Swan by Mary Oliver. You ready for this? I'm so ready. That's not part of the poem. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Swan by Mary Oliver. Did you too see it drifting all night on the Black River? Did you see it in the morning rising into the silvery air, an armful of white blossoms, a perfect commotion of silk and linen as it leaned into the bondage of its wings, a snowbank, a bank of lilies, biting the air with its black beak. Did you hear it, fluting and whistling, a shrill dark music like the rain pelting the trees, like a waterfall knifing down the black ledges? And did you see it, finally, just under the clouds, a white cross streaming across the sky, its feet like black leaves, its wings like the stretching light of the river? And did you feel it in your heart, how it pertained to everything? And have you two finally figured out what beauty is for? And have you changed your life? Oh, thrills. Thrills. It's so good. What was that line? Pretty good, the, huh? It's so good. And I haven't heard that one before. What was the line near the beginning about the commotion of, of, of fabric or something? In the, like, trapped in the wings? Uh, a perfect commotion of silk and linen. Oh, oh, sploosh. It's so good. Oh, man, Mary Oliver. She just, she can describe <laughs> nature, right? Well, that was her thing, right? That was her jam, was mm. was taking inspiration from nature. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's so great. It reminds me of um, the first time that Radiohead ever did an interview with MTV. 
Mm-hmm. And the story goes that MTV had been trying to get Radiohead on forever mm. and Radiohead were just batting them like, we don't do interviews. And then, I don't know if anybody in Radiohead has an accent like that, but but whatever. <laughs> um, and eventually they they got Tom York to agree to an interview on an MTV show. So long as it was live and the presenters were not asking any of the questions and only viewers were allowed to ask wow. questions, which MTV agreed to do. Anyway, so I don't remember any of this interview except for one thing, which is somebody phoned in and asked Tom York, uh, what's your favorite Radiohead song? Oh, how did it disappear completely? He, without batting, <laughs> what, what, what? without batting, he said the Pyramid song. No way. And she said, why? And he said, because it took me five minutes to write and it's about everything. <laughs> God, I love Tom York so much. That's amazing. So I have heard, it must be from a different interview, I've heard him that their favorite song or the, the song that they think is their best song is How to Disappear Completely. Um, and apparently the lines from that song comes from come from Michael Stipe from uh, R.E.M. Uh, is it Stipe or Stripe? Yeah. Michael Stripe. <laughs> Seems like it should be Michael Stipe, Stipe but I'm pretty sure it's Stipe. Um, and apparently it was just <laughs> when they when they, when Pablo Honey came out and they got a lot of airplay, um, they were really worried about kind of becoming one hit wonders and they suddenly got incredibly famous very quickly and they were like playing Coachella and uh, Tom York was just more and more depressed the more famous they got. Um, and he asked Michael Stipe how he handled it. Michael Stipe said, oh, you know, when things get too bad, I just sort of rock back and forth and tell myself it's fine. I'm not really here. This isn't really happening. <laughs> that, that, that's sort of like <laughs> what radio and he's like yeah i think that's my favorite song <laughs> wild oh, those rock stars in fact he was one of the the few redeeming accounts on instagram for me before i left it two or three years ago oh. michael stipe on instagram was an absolute treat i'm not mm. sure about now as was his goddaughter francis bean cubain who is kurt cobain's daughter and her <laughs> middle name is bean i'm so jealous but imagine having imagine having Michael Stipe as your godfather. Incredible, incredible. What was Frances Bean like on Instagram? Uh, a witch, basically. I think <laughs> she still is. I'm not sure. <laughs> Perfect. She's <Hello>. awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, with parents like that, how could you go wrong? Yeah, totally. <laughs> it has been really fun. So I have just, as of literally yesterday, um, submitted what are hopefully the last edits for a novel set in the 1990s, set in 1996 particularly. So mm. it's been incredibly fun kind of immersing, re-immersing myself in what 1996 was. Um, yeah, I don't know. So I've been like, I've been reading a lot of zines has been, has been one of the things like going back to, because we, we talk a lot about like riot girl culture, which is always something I've had a real soft spot for. Uh, you know, which is like a lot of things that that white punks did in the 90s was not as maybe inclusive as it could have been, yeah. but had some really good parts to it. Um, I don't know, 90s, maybe was the 90s the last time that it felt like the world wasn't on a really weird timeline? Was the 90s the last time that people felt very triumphant? For us, it was. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there, you go through phases in your life and it doesn't seem to matter what area you lived in, those phases are more or less the same. Mm. Again, this is just, you know, my two-cent observation. Mm. Um, but, you know, when, when you get to the middle to latter part of your life, you seem to go into end-of-the-world mode. Yeah. Because it is the end of the world for you. Yeah. But 
the sense of impending doom that mm. people have in the latter part of their life, like that seems to be intergenerational. Whether you were in your 50s, 60s and 70s mm. in the 30s, 40s or 50s or later. Yeah. And I feel like for us, the 90s will always be the era when the music was best. Because it was in our lives when we were discovering music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And for our parents, that might have been the 60s. Mm-hmm. And we're both right. Like, the 60s yeah. were an amazing era for music, as were the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Like, it just depends on... It, it's 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 about you, Sam. It's not mm. the world. It's you. I think there's something to that, yeah. But, I mean, it does seem like there are also... There's a mood, right? And it is. It's it's tricky. So, for example, when people make all these grand statements about Gen X is this and Gen Y is this, to what extent are we just describing people in their Uh, 40s are like this? (laughs) You know, it tends to be like this and people in their 20s tend to be like this. Um, for sure. But I mean, I do think there is something to the fact that people born around the same time are shaped by the same external events, right? And that has some impact. Like there was some truth to the fact that the greatest generation were very thrifty because like most people um, in most parts of the world experienced a really big war and lived with supply chain problems. And then, you know, like all became hoarders because, you know, they, 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 that's what they were taught. And I think similarly, like, I don't know, it just like there's there's such there's such doom in the water, um, in the water that we drink at the moment. Oh, we're just at the age where you care about what's happening in the world. Oh, maybe, maybe. Yeah, very possibly. I mean, when you're so so as we're recording this, New Zealand is currently deciding on whether or not to lower the voting age to 16. Oh, something such a good which idea. Jacinda Ardern is, is a big fan of. What's a queen? Uh, well, it may or may not be, but but the interesting thing about lowering the voting age is it's almost always leftist governments that do that mm-hmm. because younger voters tend to vote left wing. Because yeah. when you're younger, you care more about social issues, like you're primed for socialism when you're <laughs> younger. And, you know. In our day, that was whatever it was. I suppose, like, we were starting to think about climate change. Mm. Um, There were a whole raft of issues. And I suppose, you know, being where we were in South Africa, uh, we we weren't in apartheid, but it was kind of the transition after apartheid. And so Mm. that's something we cared about a lot. Whatever it is, Mm. like, you know, when you're in your late teens, early 20s, like, you care about those social issues more than older people tend to. Whereas, you know, when you get older, you start to worry about the nitty gritty of the politics and like the whole setup. And I, yeah. so I, I don't know, like, obviously, it's, it's, the, I, I feel like the world is always going to serve you whatever you're looking for. Yeah, like, whatever I, you're looking for is there. And uh, you're looking for different things at different ages. <laughs> I think that is entirely true. It is funny, though, because I think this idea that, you know, we all become more conservative as we get older, it, it, it doesn't... It doesn't entirely hold, right, for, firstly, for all times. But also I think there's this really funny thing about how, like, commonsensically, I do think there's kind of something something that feels true about the idea that when you're younger, you're more excited about change and you're more, you, you know, you change okay. is something that feels really positive and you see all the positives of change. You don't, you, you aren't yet aware of the dangers of change and you don't have this resistance, you know? And I think when we, you talk about conservatism, really, if you take it kind of as its purest form of wanting to just conserve what there is, right? Um, 
it makes sense that you would get more conservative as you get older. However, I think the weird thing is when you look at the way that left and right wing politics are fractured, are, have fractured in the the Western world today, at least, like where let the term left and, and right kind of even means anything. I don't think that entirely maps to conservatism and progressivism in all sorts of ways, right? Like I think a lot of sort of progressive people are very concerned about preserving institutions and big states and that kind of thing, weirdly. And actually, like at least in the UK, like the Tories really are the people who are running through the world trying to cut up regulation and be like, we don't need anything. Just let the free market take care of it, which is which is not a conservative ideology at all, right? It's it's something else. Yeah. Which is mm. why you need that tension between yeah. what we call left and right. But really it's 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 the tension to me is around preserving a status quo versus moving things forward. Mm. And those two those two tendencies exist both on the left and right, but in, in different ways. Mm. And I think that if if we had to say anything good about democracy, it's that it kind of gravitates towards that, that tension where mm. you always end up with these two pools of people, one of which are trying to change something and the other that's trying to preserve the status quo. Yeah. And as with any spectrum, the truth is never in the extremes. It's always in the middle. And if the system is working, it kind of keeps the pendulum there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is actually one of the one of the political concepts that I'm most obsessed about is the idea that we need to get away from first past the post voting so that we don't just actually have a binary and a, that pulls in that kind of way, which is the inevitable result of a first past the post system. Because we shouldn't really just have two poles, right? We should have like a whole five dimensional matrix of, of things happening in different interests that all pull in different directions and kind of keep balance yeah. in the middle. And the fact that so many political systems superpowered by this communication change that's happened over the last couple of decades have increasingly accelerated towards very partisan left and right politics just like two things and everything must be slotted into one of those very extreme like camps right and we're all going to wear our blue team or our red team jerseys and go and cheer for our our team and like get great pleasure out of owning the other team like that garbage which i think is making the world much worse that happens because of this really weird quirk of our voting systems which is first past the post voting and the best explainer of this that i've ever read is uh, CGP Grey has a series of videos on how first-past-the-post voting creates two-party systems. There's a whole series on YouTube. It's like 10 years old now, and it is. it was so prophetic when it came out. I think about it all the time. Yeah, there was another... Um, I must actually go and find this article that basically uh, predicted the hyperpolarization that we're seeing today, especially in the USA. Mm. Um, and it's the article was about gray spaces, Mm. and how healthy society exists in in the gray spaces Mm. and how if you're looking to attack a society the first thing you do is you try and move people out of the gray spaces and into the extremes Mm. which surprise surprise is exactly what's happened in the like 10 to 15 years since i read this article Mm -hmm. is we've seen this hyperpolarization where there are less people happy in the gray space and more people in a black or a white space mm. um, convinced that you get to basket a lot of issues that don't necessarily exist together. Mm. So if somebody claims to be pro-life, then they must automatically also be 
for guns. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. You know, conservative, uh, Christian, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And also, Whereas my enemy. Reality is obviously, yeah. Mm. Where so all the nuance just escapes the room, right? Mm. It's like I fucking love guns, not for shooting anything alive. But I just, I think guns are fucking cool. But I'm also like, you know, totally pro-choice and think abortion is a human right. And like, it's always more complicated than that. And we now live in this moment where, you know, if somebody doesn't accept pronouns online, then we just expect that there's 18 other things Mm. they obviously subscribe to as well. Mm. Whereas the truth is more complicated than that. And that's the beauty of of human beings is that we are complicated motherfuckers. Totally. Yeah. And if you don't appreciate that complicated, and I think that's kind of what you're saying, like, and that's the beauty of multi-party democracy is mm. hypothetically, everybody gets to say, yeah. <laughs> every, like it, 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 it might not be a, a, a very convincing say, but like, at least they have that one seat in parliament <laughs> and somebody's standing up and going, no, we should be able to keep bears as pets and like, oh, and, yeah, and guess yeah. to say they say. Yeah, totally. Dialogue. Dialogue and debate. I'm a big fan of them in general. Um, uh, So there's something else that I think about a lot is um, the fact that we are, I do believe, living through a time of kind of extraordinary change in how we communicate as a species, right? And it kind of equivalent to, most equivalent to the printing press. And after the printing press was invented, the world went fucking batshit for decades you know like there were wars caused and and like loads of weird cults that that proliferated all around europe just after the invention of the printing press because it takes a while for the breaks and the controls in culture to develop that are needed when there's this crazy amazing new technology that allows us to communicate in a new way it just it it takes a while for culture to catch up and in the meantime things are very weird and i think we are still very much living through and we have been since like kind of the 60s but most notably since the 90s i think this moment of we haven't figured out what to do with the internet yet and things are going to be incredibly weird for a while (laughs) it's just kind of going to happen Boy, has that ever been truer than in the era of Elon Musk buying Twitter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, are you are you on Twitter still? The I mean, last I, two yeah. weeks has it been wild? I I'm having the best time ever on Twitter. <laughs> what do you mean I'm still on Twitter? It's never been this entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> I heard someone describe it's like, it. Yeah. No, I just I heard I heard someone describe it as being like the last days of high school where everyone is like, oh, I hated this place. But then in the last weeks, they're like, oh, I, I love you guys. I'll miss you forever. And everyone's like breaking all the rules and it feels kind of chaotic and incredibly fun and joyful. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's insane. And it might go away in a day now. <laughs> like, I don't know. I remember um, you and I were were in London earlier this year Um and and your Maddie was saying he can't wait for Elon Musk to run Twitter into the ground. Yeah, and I was like, True yeah, but that's gonna take spoken. a while. No, nope. <laughs> perhaps perhaps fifteen days, Maddie P. He's just speed running. He's speed running. How to? It's like how to lose a guy in ten days. Like how to crash a company in ten days. It's amazing. So I mean, like, yeah. what is the mood? Like, I mean, give so so. It was quite. Funny, a couple of days ago, because everybody was convinced it was over. So there was like a rip Twitter hashtag and people were telling each other how much they... But it it was funny because they were on Twitter going, oh, I'm going to miss this. It's over. It's so terrible. And I was sitting there reading it going, "Um, the fact that you're able to have this discussion on Twitter kind of (laughs) 
means Twitter <laughs> isn't over yet. Like, yeah. I agree it may be over soon, but, but you know, it's uh, the lamentations began too soon. And then, of course, mm. it survived. It's still going. It's It seems to be fine. Uh, what was really funny was Elon Musk reactivating Trump's account on Twitter and then Trump going, uh, yeah, no, thanks. <laughs> I'm not oh, interested really? in coming Oh, really? Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I didn't even hear that. That's wild. I mean, I feel... I can foresee a WhatsApp feature for, for Twitter, honestly, where, you know, when WhatsApp was bought by Facebook and everyone performatively was like, I'm leaving WhatsApp, let's all go to Signal. And then about three people went to Signal and then kind of slowly migrated back to WhatsApp. And it kind of, it, it's kind of now like Facebook in that it's not something that gives you joy, but it still has utility. So you kind of still use it because the other alternatives are not really better. That's my sense of it, is Facebook pushed democracy to the brink and gave your racist uncle a megaphone and nobody left. So, like, I hear you guys with your concerns, but, like, let's be honest, you're probably not going anywhere. 100%. And so, whatever. Maybe maybe he pulls it off. I mean, he did figure out self-landing rockets. You know, he may be a petulant cocktonsel, but clearly he knows how to build stuff. So maybe he can figure out an app that lets you post 160 or whatever characters to the internet. Like, let's face it, it's not that complicated. I mean, I I am solidly team. I want Twitter to burn. I'm only getting great satisfaction by watching it. it the, the smoke and flames coming from that fucking hell pit. Like, I think it has made the, wor- yeah. the world so much worse. It has been the site. It's just enabled so much abuse and so much misinformation. And sure, the memes are great i love the memes on twitter i met and or kind of developed friendships with people on twitter 10 years ago that maybe i wouldn't have but no it i i i i'm only full of joy i'm sorry to people who feel like they're losing something i am only full of joy (laughs) so i personally think twitter is the most incredible invention of the 21st century just about um, and I remember first signing up for it like very early, I think 2006 or seven, mm. and not understanding it and being very dismissive. Um, but being a blogger and eventually, eventually adopting it. And to me, I think Jack Dorsey summed it up nicely. I listened to an interview with him a few years ago where uh, somebody asked him how Twitter compared to other social networks. And he said, well, firstly, he doesn't consider it to be a social network. He considers mm. it to be an ideas network. Mm. And he said, you know, you go to Facebook to see what other people are doing and catch up with people and you go to Twitter to catch up with particular ideas. And Mm. that really resonated with me. Mm. And so for me, you know, Twitter is where I get almost all my news from, reliable Mm. as it may be. Mm-hmm. And yes, there's a lot of hate and vitriol, but I've I think I've sort of learned to manage that over the more than a decade I've been on it. You know, it's mm. sort of um and one of the worst things I ever did was enable semi-femoral to delete old tweets. And I went mm. to go and try and find old threads of mine to retweet and it had deleted them. <laughs> so that was a bit of a faux pas. Like Sorry, I think that um, was mine because but, I, I but <laughs> No, no, not at all. It's something I it's something I'd been thinking about for a while. But um but but so while I I don't know that I would miss it if it was gone necessarily because I feel like mm. something will fill the vacuum. I really do do love it. And I also, like you, I have friendships that have been forged on Twitter. There are people who are very close to me now who I don't feel like I would have known at all were it not for that platform. Mm. And as as an ideas network and with a feed that I've put a lot of effort into over the last few years, mm. 
I um I I really do feel like it it has a, a, a unique pride of place in my in my day, um, and there are things that I don't know that I would as easily get from elsewhere. It's like you know when when if you want to know what's happening right now, you go to Twitter. Like yeah. it's it's gonna be four to six hours before the rest before the the mainstream news picks up on this and starts reporting on it. And mm. just being at that coal face, like mm. drinking from the fire hose, that sensation. <laughs> like it's inc- it's it, it's incredible that you just get to tap into what's happening in the world in that way. Mm. And so anyway, I could you know, I could clearly carry on. But I, I, I would miss it. And I, I think something else would fill its place, but I definitely miss it. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anything quite has, right? Like I, the the social networks that I do still use, I still use Reddit, which is kind of my ideas network, but it's a much slower ideas network and there are far fewer people there. But I find that it's got a little bit of what Mastodon has where individual communities have quite a lot of control over what their cultures are on their little communities. And I find that that makes for a much kinder internet. Um, which, or you stick to the kinder communities and that's how I like engaging with the internet. So Reddit works for me. Um, but of course, like it doesn't have, it doesn't have the main, it doesn't have the the hype, right? Which is part of the fun um, and the sense of mm-hmm. it's, it's entirely open. Um, and the other kind of social network that has kind of filled the Facebook hole in my life is Be Real. And I, I think the reason it's working currently is because I have 20 friends on Be Real. <laughs> and that's that's peak social network mm-hmm. for me. I'm like, every day I engage with those 20 friends' photos and I'm like, that's great. I don't have room for one more friend on Be Real. And as soon as like my mom's on mm-hmm. it, it's done, you know? And then <laughs> that's the, that's the, the cycle. <laughs> I think, yeah, these things are all very different to me. I, I yeah. absolutely love Reddit, but to me, Reddit's the very definition of, fil- of filter, bub- filter bubbles. Yeah. Like, I'm never, I, or I don't, I don't ever see anything on Reddit that challenges me because I'm only in these communities of things that I already care about mm-hmm. with people who, who also care about them. And so, mm. part of what I love about Twitter is that I do get challenged mm. um, and I do get presented with diametrically opposing worldviews. Mm. And, and I, I find that, I don't know, exhilarating. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm just weird that way. But, but I love, I love Reddit for a different reason because it is comfortable because I don't get challenged because I yeah. only see what I want to see on Reddit. <laughs> but also, I, I um, personally, I find the speed of Reddit is half of its problem for me. Um, I understand that this is also probably just a, a taste thing, like a what do you like? How do you like engaging with ideas in the world? Um, but I find that firstly the the brevity and the speed of it are they create a bad internet experience for me like i don't actually they're very it's very seldom that i need to know what's happening right now so much as i need to engage with kind of slower news and really understand something um so i find i I like that reddit is structured around ideas but firstly you have infinite space and time to properly articulate a thought um, and I like that. I like that. I also, I, I think the idea of one trying to create one culture that is fine for everyone is just a, it's a losing game, right? So there will always be people who find Twitter's moderation policies either incredibly freedom restricting or incredibly abuse allowing because you can't, there, there is no such thing as a world culture, right? Um, so, yeah, I think I think maybe maybe it's still a worthwhile experiment, but I think the idea of 
individual smaller communities that can kind of interact with each other and the overlaps is maybe just a more achievable goal for me but i love that you love twitter i don't want to take away from you (laughs) hey it's fine each to their own i i um if i had to say a bad thing about twitter although i think it's it's more a sort of an observation of social media is my attention span is currently about four seconds (laughs) (laughs) and I think it's because I'm on goddamn Twitter all day that yeah. any long form piece of writing, like unless it's absolutely magnificent, you know, it 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 literally holds my attention for about four seconds before totally. I'm like, eh, moving nah. on. <laughs> <laughs> Have we spoken about Patricia Lockwood's amazing novel? No one is talking about this. I don't think we have. It's so Tell me about it. so good. It was one of my best novels from last year. It's um. It's basically Twitter the novel. Uh, so it's written in these 240 character paragraphs that are that are mostly quite standalone. And so Patricia Lockwood is the person who wrote Rape Joke a few years ago and kind of became really famous on Twitter and is and had one of the funniest and probably still does funniest, most witty Twitter accounts. So she's a real Twitter native and it is a novel written about the experience of Twitter Um and it's kind of impossible to describe, but then what happens is uh, her she her sister gives birth to a, to a baby uh, who only lives for a short amount of time, and that kind of like pulls her out of the portal, as it's called in in the novel. Um, and it's ah. about what it is that experience is of being a, an extremely online person trying to kind of interact with the other people who are not extremely online who increasingly it's a different culture that you're living between right um it's fantastic it's one of the one of the funniest uh most heartbreaking books i've read in the last few years if you love twitter it's a it's a it's a really good novel i will add it to the queue and our show notes for anybody else looking for it yeah. I am um, speaking of novels. I've just finished tomorrow. Oh, sorry. Um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Yes. And um, which I listened to as an audio book. Um, it's it, it's exquisite. I absolutely loved it. And the audio book is is amazing because they have um, two narrators, but the second narrator only comes in for one chapter, and I won't tell you which chapter because it'll be a spoiler for anybody listening. Um, but they so they 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 have a um a woman's voice for the whole novel but they have a male voice that comes in for one chapter and one chapter alone which is one of the most beautiful things i've ever oh i can't wait Um, after this conversation i need to ask because there's two chapters i think it could be and i need to ask you which one but i will wait until this conversation is done i'm so curious (laughs) yeah it's interesting because I use read sort of synonymously as listened to or mm. physically read. And actually, I think it's discriminatory against people who can't physically read to say that they haven't read something when they listen to it. Oh, like sure. if somebody reads a book to me, I've read it as far as I'm concerned. But we have two friends who I shall not name, you and I, <laughs> in common, who I have had stand-up fights with when I've dared to say I've read a book when I actually when I listen to it as an audio book. They're so just I'm wrong. I'm to say I've read it, but I have. No, of course you've read it. That's, that's utter bullshit. I can't believe anyone would hold a different opinion. Those people are wrong. I'm all about tolerance of ideas, except for wrong ideas. <laughs> Those are wrong ideas. <laughs> well... One of these friends also has very strong views about ebooks and Kindle and insists that that's not the same as reading a paper book. What? Um, 
and yeah, yeah, whatever. Each, like I said, each to their own. But uh, but the audiobook version of Tomorrow and Tomorrow Tomorrow is is amazing. Mm. Um, so for anyone listening who hasn't read that book, highly recommend. Sam was correct as she always is. And now I'm reading uh, a book that our friend Catherine Luckoff recommended to me called Replay. Have you heard of this book? No, tell me about it. Let me find the author's name. Uh, Replay by Ken Grimwood. It's about a a middle-aged character who dies and wakes up at college, Um, which is a a trope as old as time. You know, it's sort of the Groundhog Day sort of idea. And something that features commonly in my fantasies. Absolutely. I, I think it's it's fairly common. Like I honestly think about this idea of a do-over very often. I'm like, Same. you know, and and here's my question to you is is if you had to pick a point in the past to hmm. reset back to, what would it be? Would it be 18 years old? Would it be Whew. maybe just a couple of years ago? That's so interesting. I mean, the problem is if you go back deeply enough to change the, the parts of your life that were the most tricksy, it means you also have to live through the tricksiest parts again, right? Like but my first instinct is I want to go back to like 14 um, and kind of redo from there, uh, knowing what I know now. But then, oh my God, I'd have to be a fucking teenager again. And it was it was gruesome. I can't imagine. <laughs> and even worse, I'd have to live through my 20s. So what age would you pick? Oh. Yeah, because I mean, I think I, I fucked up the most in my 20s in, in the sense of like made in unalterable choices that I would make very different choices to now. But also the, like, even if I made different choices, I still think being in my twenties would have been just a fucking nightmare. So I, I kind of would have to go back to my early twenties and redo things, but then I have to be in my early twenties. I don't know if it's worth it. I might just, I might just stay, stay here, keep going. (laughs) When would you go back to but being in your early 20s, knowing what you know now might be useful. Although you still have no money, you have no social capital, no connections, no one, like even if you actually know things, no one will believe you that you know things. I don't know. But supposing that history continues from that point onwards in the same way it did before, you could very quickly make a lot of money knowing what you know. Oh, that's like, true. Like you know what stocks are going to pop off on the stock exchange oh, you yeah. know what trends are gonna like mm. shape world history from that point forward <laughs> be the first so you can fix the money thing yeah. that's true <laughs> exactly um i so i think a lot about the butterfly effect mm-hmm. and that very small changes can have you know massive effects over time um and so you know, having children, I have to think about points in history after they were born mm. because even the slightest changes to to how I do things before they were born could lead to them not being born. It's terrible. And that's a worse prospect than almost anything. Aww. Like, you know, not only did something terrible happen to them, they never even existed in the first place. Like, that's that's truly tragic. Yeah, even after that point, though, like even once they're born, I mean, they're exceptional human beings and the same thing could apply. Like you could, any change that you would make, they would not be quite the people that they are, you know? Yeah. Or the relationships that you currently have, you know, the people Mm. that you love, Mm. just the slightest changes to how you do things could mean you never meet them. 
mm. or that you meet them on different terms mm. or that you meet them in a way that they don't really like you. And when you start unpacking this, you start realizing that, you know, like the the current state of you is, is an extremely fragile thing. Mm. And just slight differences in decisions 20 years ago could have changed it in fundamental ways. Mm. Um, and I would still like to go back uh, about 12 years, <laughs> knowing what I know now. <laughs> it's interesting because it, it, in my mind, it becomes like, what's the shortest space of time I could go back uh, to have a measurable impact on who I am today? Uh, and it kind of speaks to this interesting thought experiment that I've been thinking about where if you fast forward 10 years from now, because while this is a fun thought experiment, it's mm. not actionable because I can't make it happen. Mm. So it's fun to imagine what I would do with my life if I could go back 10 years and change things. Yeah. But what's more interesting to me is thinking about myself in 10 years from now. Mm. And if I... I knew today what I will know 10 years from now, mm -hmm. which of course is impossible to do. Mm. What would I change about my life today? And it's interesting because I have an intuition about what those things are and I'm just too chicken shit to do them. Okay. I, I, feel, like, I feel like I can approximate who I'll be 10 years from now and what I will want then mm. in a fairly good way. And if I kind of write out what that scenario is, it, mm. it is instructive for what I should be doing now. And I do have a sense of what decisions I should be making. And so why aren't I making them? But mm. I think that's that's kind of useful because it's a way to cheat our heuristic about, um, there's a name for the bias. I, I can't remember the fancy name for it. But basically, we optimize for now, mm. which is why we are predisposed to things like eating trash and smoking and getting extremely drunk totally. is because the me that wakes up with a hangover tomorrow isn't real. Mm. It's a hypothetical. It's like what I care about is me now having mm. the best fun mm -hmm. and me tomorrow and 10 years from now is like, eh, whatever. But me tomorrow and 10 years from now very much would care about what I'm doing today. Yeah. And so I like that thought experiment because it's a way of almost like, um, you know, shorting out that heuristic i love that so they they've done experiments when where they show people a digitally altered version of themselves so that it's you but older and then get people to make decisions about like money or exercise or whatever and people for a short while it does have an effect if you do that imagining of okay one day i will be this person you do save more money you do exercise more so i think it's an unbelievably helpful helpful thing to do um I, I, it's like i think some some buddhists do this I, I think it's like indonesia has a particular practice of this where they meditate with corpses is also a thing because i mean that's the ultimate future you right the ultimate future you is a bag of bones and in fact not even a bag of bones a pile of dust that used to be a bag of bones um and and yeah. reminding thinking every day about that fact I think can only make your life better, you know? Yeah, I love it. I think that that's a, that's a really powerful, powerful thing. Well, that's that principle of memento mori, which I, mm. there's that app that um, asks you about your birth and where you live, etc. Uh, and then it approximates when you're going to die and it puts a countdown on your computer. I love that. Yeah. So you have this clock counting down. <laughs> and um, I don't know that I love it. I, um, 
talking about healthy tensions as we were with democracy, like there's there's a lot about because time is fucking weird. Mm-hmm. It's it's like life is extremely short, except when it's not, because it's it's both, right? Mm. It's very life is long and it's short, and you don't necessarily have a choice on which one of those two ways you're experiencing it in. Mm. But I don't like optimizing for the shortness of life. I don't like mm. optimizing for the sense that I need to do X, Y, and Z because, you know, this is where I'm probably going to check out. And it creates a kind of an anxiety that I don't think is healthy. Interesting. Whereas slowing things down and going, I'm going to make decisions for the future based on who I want to be in 10 years, mm. say, but... I'm also going to appreciate the present. I don't mm. know. It's dichotomous. It's like, you know, it, it, there, there's so many paradoxes in in, in mm. sort of how I'm thinking about this. But that idea of memento mori, I think, is definitely useful. But taking it to the extreme of having a countdown clock to my death on my desktop <laughs> seems to be pushing things too far in one direction. <laughs> so what is the optimal time period for you? So when you, what is the most motivating future you that you you can hold in your head? Is it 50-year-old Simon? Is it 60-year-old Simon? Is it 80-year-old Simon? Um, so it's interesting because I think it depends on what um, what layer of the self-pyramid you're talking about. Mm. Um, so if you break it down, there's a model I, I was recently exposed to through a crazy documentary that Jonah Hill made about his <laughs> psychologist, which is called Stutz. It's on Netflix. And it's basically I, that is a just an hour of Jonah Hill speaking to his psychologist. Wow. <laughs> wow. Anyway, um, his construct of self is, so firstly, you've got um, your body, mm. right? So you've got, you've got your animal, your health, and that's something you can always work on no matter how bad things are. So you can mm. either be exercising or focusing on your sleep or your diet Mm. Um, and and those things have very immediate effects. Mm. So at the base layer of the body, I th- for me, I think it's interesting to think about like you know a hundred year old me, because um, that's that's where I want to get the body to mm. is is hundred year old me, mm. and that's going to help me to make the best decisions for my body today. Mm. Um, the second layer is. The world, which basically means other people, and to me, the the right focal length there is like the next few seconds, mm. because I feel like I'm optimizing my presence with other people in that time space, mm. and and so I I like thinking about being present and I'm with Sam right now and I'm speaking Mm. to Sam Mm. and I don't really care what's happening five minutes from now or next year or 10 years Mm. from now. I want to be as present with Sam as I possibly can be. And just to say, I do think that is one of your superpowers, honestly, is that, you know, I've I've said before, like, I think one of the things you're best at doing is hanging out. I think that's what it is. Like the joy of being your friend is that what I'm good for. Yeah, when you're when when you're there, you're extremely present, and a lot of people aren't, and it's a very joyful, a very joyful thing to to have as a gift as your friend. Well, it's lovely to hear because I I feel like I'm often very bad at it. I feel like I'm a bad listener at times, and I feel like like it, you know I 
I was uploading a bunch of our old episodes to our new website uh, whenever we switched to it two years ago or whatever. And so I was listening to some of the old episodes while I was uploading them. And I noticed that, for example, I interrupted you a lot. And and there were a lot of responses you'd give me where I wasn't really listening. And I, f- I feel like I often go into that mode. Um, but anyway, that's lovely to hear. Thank you. But anyway, the, so the top layer of the pyramid is um, basically your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the best exercises when you're in a funk to fill that part of the pyramid is writing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, is is because that's i think you and i both know this intrinsically that when you're forced to write you sort of start it's like a metacognition that happens it's mm. like you you're sort of testing your own thinking when you write about something yes um and in the in that time frame then i'm almost thinking backwards i'm not thinking mm. about 100 year old me or me in the present i'm almost reflecting on where i've come from mm. and so i like those kind of three focal lengths depending on on what it is that I'm trying to optimize for in the moment. The animal, the world, and the mind. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so oh, one thing, other thing I enjoyed from Stutz is when he talks about the world and other people, mm. he's like, if you, you know, if, if you want to bring yourself out of the funk at that layer, it almost doesn't matter who the person is because they're a representative of humanity. Mm. And if you can appreciate that, like it almost doesn't matter who it is that's in front of you at that moment. You can appreciate mm. that they are the world outside of yourself and a representative of it, mm. which is a, a beautiful idea. I really love that. It feels like a lot of the time the difficulty when one is in a funk is actually just identifying which of those levels the funk the funkiness is coming from. And so therefore, what is the right kind of way to soothe yourself, right? So like, I mean, I'm very guilty of this is that when I'm overwhelmed with life and I'm feeling like my instinct is always to go into like a very type A future planning kind of way where I'm like, okay, I'm going to solve all my problems by doing, which is essentially like a writing solution, right? Like I'm going to go and make a plan. I'm going to like da, 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 da. When actually often what would be good for me is going for a fucking run or doing something that's much more just or going and do something that's immediately joyful like going to go and hang out with someone or you know hang out with someone while running even better um yeah i think often what goes wrong in our lives is that we we misdiagnose our funkiness <laughs> our funks absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. speaking so of nice which you yeah. said you were gonna you were gonna do a few runs as i recall an episode I- or two ago I actually did. Um, so I did. Uh, however, I was intending to go running outside in the world. Um, so my flat is one of the best things about it is it overlooks these beautiful wetlands in Walthamstow. Um, and so yeah. it should be a delightful place to go and run around and I should do it all the time. But instead, I am a lazy cow and I did not do that. And also it is currently very dark always and very cold always. So I did my running on a treadmill um which the first run I did made me feel quite bleak and then the second and third and fourth run actually was really delightful because I realized that one thing I've lost from my life in the last few years since COVID has been podcast time and I realized hey podcast time back in my life so I've been listening to a bunch of podcasts and I'm like oh yeah I fucking love this medium turns out so I have been running be proud of me very slowly (laughs) but I've been running yay 
Problem is, like Yay. with travels, I, so, I so you know how clumsy I am. I'm always gonna trip. I'm always so worried I'm gonna trip. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little bit worried about you on a treadmill there, Sammy. But uh, yeah. Also, I, like I, I don't think I've ever actually run on a treadmill, and I, and I can't get my head around it because part of the joy for running for me is is just getting out there. Yeah. Yeah, I should probably just force myself so, to go outside. So, so Scott Jurek talks about that um, that joy of running in his book, which we discussed a couple of episodes ago, mm. um, and he talks about what to do when you mm-hmm. when you fall out of love with it. And he's like, you need to start doing it in ways you're not used to, mm. like run in your jeans, like run away from your friends while you're <laughs> up for a walk, like just start remembering that running is what we do mm. and break out of the pattern you've created about it and rediscover the fun and the joy oh, of like just that. running. Um, but podcasting and audiobooks are a big part of my regime. Like it's part, mm. of, part of my joy is that I have this hour or two of the day where mm. I can listen to podcasts almost uninterrupted. Mm. And that's part of why I love running. Mm. I love that idea. That's a great, uh, it's a great challenge. I will, I will try and think of quirkier ways to, to go running. <laughs> uh, I believe it is your turn to assign homework this week. Speaking of homework. Ooh. Okay. So, oh, so another book I've been reading is Breath by, who wrote, I think it's, uh, wait, let me Google it. I think it's James Nestor. Is that right? I have no idea. Book. It's a bit problematic. Um, some of the ideas, yeah, it's James Nestor. Uh-huh. Um, some of the ideas in, is it breath or breathe? It's just breath. Anyway. Breath. Um, yeah. So he, some of his ideas are very esoteric and out there and unscientific. Um, but one of the things he talks about is, you know, how your nose is for breathing, your mouth uh-huh. is is for eating, and it's mm-hmm. a it's like an emergency backup for breathing. But you really shouldn't be breathing through your mouth. Nothing good will come of it. Oh, and there, I think the science is pretty convincing. Is this why I'm seeing so many people on TikTok talking about sleeping with their mouth taped closed? Is that where this comes from? Yeah. So. Ah. This book created this phenomenon. So, yeah, okay, yeah, of taping your mouth while you're sleeping to force yourself to breathe through your nose. Okay, good, because yeah. I've been very curious about what <laughs> the is Which is also a great about. cure for snoring, by the way. Oh, good. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, you have James Nestor to thank for this trend. Um, but I found it interesting how he goes into breath work. You know, this idea mm. that uh, you can you can alter your state just through breathing. Mm. So this is a bit of a this is a bit of a ask, Sammy. But I want you to try this. Okay. I don't know how. I know there are classes. <laughs> Maybe you could find something on the internet. Please don't hurt yourself. I mean, it's but London, I want you to try sure. breath work and report back to me Dude, on what it's like. What a great challenge! I'm in. I'm right now. I'm googling breath work London. <laughs> I mean, there's probably a class like around the corner for me. I do live around a lot of hipsters. Uh, yeah, there's there's like 37 classes right, happening listen. in the next hour. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Done. I'm in. What a great challenge. Let me know if there's a there there or is this a complete waste of our attention. Okay. Do I need to look for a specific term or is breathwork the term? Are there like sub subtypes of breathwork that I need to be um, aware of? I think that all of these classes have tended towards the same... Um, the same kind of breathing, which is holotropic breathing, I think. Okay. Is that right? Uh-huh. Um, so, so I'm particularly interested in in holotropic breath work. Okay. But I, I I think that if you that I think that breath work has become a term for holotropic. Although there there are many practices, you know, 
that that there's sort of their breathing practices for um, slowing things down, their breathing mm. practices for speeding things up. They, but but they mm. all seem to be in the Wim Hof kind of holotropic space at the moment. Nice. I love it. This is a great challenge. I also love that I have almost no expectations about what this will be like. <laughs> so, <laughs> great. I'm in. What, a, what an excellent challenge. I will definitely go check it it's out. It's a little bit about... Um, we spoke about that thing you went to with the... Um, the hallucinations induced mm, by the dream machine. Lights. Yeah, the dream machine. Yeah. It's one of those things where I've only ever heard other people speaking about the experience and I'm a bit skeptical. <laughs> so you're my you, guinea pig. You know that I will tell you if it's bullshit. You know I will <laughs> I will not sugarcoat it. <laughs> well, absolutely. There you go. Although I am also very susceptible to things. <laughs> like I think I would be the easiest person to hypnotize because I'm just I just I'm so compliant. I'm like, oh, you want me you want me to, to be seeing crazy shit yes I'm, I'm seeing them i'll see them whatever you need I'm such a sub do you want me to do breath work because you said so on a podcast no problem sure whatever i'm in i just i just want to be in the navy i just want someone to tell me what to do all the time every hour of my life it's my dream okay what a great challenge i'm excited well i look forward to hearing how it went sam nice Okay, buddy. Uh, on that note, uh, I think that gives me a lot to a lot to think about and breathe about. Okay, love you, love you, and your stupid, beautiful face. 